worship time and remind you of who's in charge. And we never need to forget who's in charge. I was doing a little uh, back studying on Jerusalem. And uh, Jerusalem belongs to Israel, by the way. And uh, actually, it belongs to God. And He gave it to them as stewards. And, uh, but uh, <clears throat> we'll get into that a little bit here in just a minute. It says, uh, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. Now, if you're sitting beside somebody in a minute that's not praising, say, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Supposed to praise Him. It's good, right? It's good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. He loves for us to praise Him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. It's a good word. He gathers together the outcast of Israel. He's been doing that for the last... 50 years. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. It's a word to all of us. He counts the number of the stars, calls them all by name. And what do we got to worry about? He's got all the stars numbered and he's got each one of them named. He's in charge. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. I like that. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God, who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares the rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food and the young ravens that cry. He does, he does not delight in the strength of a horse, and He takes no pleasures in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him and in those who hope in His mercy. He don't take any pleasure or strength of a horse. He's our strength. Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. During our worship, I had this word quickened to me by the Holy Spirit. And I want to give it to you again. It's in your Bible, but this was quickened to me by the Holy Spirit. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That's the day we're in. We have come to the end of time in this world. And I'm going to show you a few things about that here in a little bit. But it's time for us to wake up and realize what's going on in our world and how God is moving the pieces in place to bring us to an expected end. <clears throat> Tell your neighbor, say, get ready. Jesus is coming soon. Go ahead and tell them. Amen. Children's church is dismissed across the street or across the aisle there. The drive through I should say. And we have two nurseries. Two nurseries next door. <clears throat> if you have a child. If you, uh, uh, if you brought your Bible, <clears throat> turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to explain to you how we got here just a little bit and then explain to you what's coming, some more of what's coming. Um, we got here because the, the enemy, Satan, who got crossways with God, was kicked out of heaven. And when he was kicked out of heaven, he came down and tried to tempt God's creation, Adam and Eve, and he was successful. Now, there's some Jewish teaching that says the reason that uh, Satan was so upset with God is because Adam was created in God's image. Do you realize that it doesn't say anything else about, about any other part of his creation than it does with us, us humans? We were created in his image and his likeness. And so, <clears throat> Satan come into the garden and he deceived Eve and she either deceived her husband or talked him into it or whatever. And they both went against God. And as they went against God there in the garden, they opened the door for sin to come in. 
Now, lest we feel high on ourselves, we've all seen enough out of our own lives to know had we been in the garden, we would have blown it too. So we got no stones to throw at Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve opened the gateway, and they opened the gateway by being challenged of what God had said, right? That's where this started. That's the first thing the devil did is he started this off by challenging what God said. If you look at your own life, that's how the devil's worked in your life. Ah, uh, don't believe that. Don't believe that that, that 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 will really destroy your life. Don't believe that Jesus is coming back. Don't believe. See, that's how he still works. He still challenges what God says. And we're going to see today, again, how that it's clear that God, what God said, has always come to pass, and it's going to continue to do that. So he told them what would happen, and Adam and Eve, I believe that Adam was the smartest man that's ever been born, outside of Jesus Christ, of course. He had, of course, Jesus didn't have an earthly father. Adam didn't either. But I believe Adam was probably the smartest man, and one of the reasons I believe he was the smartest man outside of Christ was because he had no distractions. If you think about it, we have plenty of distractions. And the reasons we have distractions is because what happened that day in the garden. And that day in the garden, knowledge was opened up to Adam and Eve that God did not want them to have. Because Satan had rebelled, he brought in evil into the domain, and so now they were faced with things. They were totally focused. Think about what it would be like to have no distractions in your life. Think about what it would be like to be totally focused on God's will, His plan for your life, and have no distractions in your life. When they ate of that fruit, all those distractions came in. They were opened up to many distractions. And it had to do, listen closely, it had to do with knowledge. They got a hold of some knowledge that they didn't need, right? In fact, there are places in the Bible that the Bible tells us to not even look into certain things like that. One of them is witchcraft. He said, don't even look in. God don't want us to even have the knowledge of those things because of the deception and stuff. And so knowledge was opened up. And I was saying to my wife one day this week, who's in the education realm, uh, about how that so many of these higher institutions of learning, no longer is it, is it giving people facts, you know, to further their education. They're just trying to open their lives up to all kinds of crazy knowledge. And that's what happened in the garden. They got opened up because they went against God and they got opened up. And now there's all kinds of distractions. So many distractions now in our world that there's so much confusion. There's role confusion and all kinds of confusion that has slipped into our cultures around the world because we've got a hold of knowledge that's not God. It's not good knowledge. And God tried to keep us away from that, but we made our choices. And now our challenge is, is, to, is to come back and get focused back on God, right? And experience what He has for us instead of living the lie and being destroyed. That's the challenge for every human. Every human is, you're going to be challenged with to continue to believe the lies, Right? Some of the lies that sin won't destroy you or that you can get by with that and, and you'll be able to control that and all these things that the, the enemy tells and that the Bible's not really true and on and on and on and on. And then the biggest lie, here's the biggest lie for us that are living in this moment is putting it off, right? Uh, there, there's a story that's went around in years in the circle of preachers about how the devil got all the demons together and, let's, and said, hey, let's figure out a way to keep people from following Jesus. Let's figure out a way to keep them from being born again or saved. How can we do that? And, and uh, one demon said, <clears throat> said uh, well, I know, let's tell them there's no God. And the devil said, ah, that might work with some, but no God, no devil. He said, I don't like that. And so another demon said, <clears throat> I tell you, he said, let's tell them that God's word's not true. And again, the devil said, well, that might work with some, but, you know, they can, they can watch the news and tell God's word's true, you know, if they really watch and pay attention. He said, ah, I'm not good on that. Finally, one demon in the back raised his hand and said, I've got an idea. <clears throat> he said, let's tell them they can wait. Let's tell them they can put it off. And the devil said, that's what we'll do. We'll tell them they can put it off. Now, the reality is, and this is not a scare text, it's just reality because it's the life I live. 
I've been doing this for 30 some years. I got an extension <laughs> from God. But I have buried people from just a few days old, and I think the oldest person I've buried is 99 and, and everywhere in between. Death is no respecter of persons. I've buried babies that have just been born, uh, children, of, uh, teenagers, young adults, middle aged, and all the way up to 99 and everywhere in between. So death is no respecter of persons. None of us have the promise of tomorrow. We don't. We didn't order our own steps. We didn't number our days. That was done for us. And so God has control of all of that. So what he wants us to do is to live today like it could be our last day. And so because of sin entering in the race, you and I have a choice. We have to decide whether we're going to give our lives over to sin. And, and I'm not talking about any particular sin. We're not here to try and weigh sins out. That's, that doesn't work anyway. It's not legitimate. Paul said if you break the law or if you sin in one point, you sin, it doesn't matter. Right? But what we got to decide is whether we're going to give our lives. And sin ultimately is this. Sin is you and I deciding inside of here that we're going to do it our way instead of God's way. It doesn't matter what you fall into or what you pursue. It's just that there's been a decision in your heart that says, you know, I'm going to live my life the way I want to instead of the way God wants me to. That's sin. And so we have a decision to make whether we're going to give our lives to that or whether we're going to actually surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and follow His will and His plan that's laid out for us in the Scripture. And so that's our choices. There's only two choices. Either you're going to wind up in heaven someday or you're going to wind up in hell. That's the only two choices we have. So God, in His infinite wisdom and knowledge, He was not caught off guard when that happened in the garden, right? He, he knew it was going to happen. He is, has foreknowledge. And so he knows everything's going to happen. And so he had a plan put in place according to the book of Revelation that Jesus the Son and he, the Father, had entered into a covenant that at some point in time Jesus would come down, take, a, take on flesh the way we live, and die in our place. That that would be our atonement, that we would then be able to be restored back to God through the work of Jesus Christ. All of those people, if I can draw this on the board for you, all of those people from Genesis uh, were looking forward to the cross. And all of us, I'll just put us, we look back to the cross. So, it, every, so it, it didn't matter where your position was at. <laughs> what matters is what you look to. We're getting ready to put that on the screen, I think. We're not. Okay, so the, the cross was what the people... From Genesis, look to, they were waiting for the cross, so they had to believe in the cross, right? And then we, on this side of the cross, we look back. So the point of reference is the same for both sides. I say it like this, that the blood of Jesus is the only, the only stream that flows both directions, right? It flows forward and backward, because all of those people from Genesis till the time Jesus came and hung on the cross, and all of us now until the Lord returns again, like we sang about this morning, we're all looking to the same point of reference. We're looking to the sacrifice of God's Son and His resurrection. That's what we're looking to. So they were believers, right? They believed and we believe. But you have to believe in what God set up. And what God set up, He said, you and I are sinners. We were not able to please God on our own. Adam and Eve proved that right off the bat. And so God said, I'm going to send my son. He's going to be the atonement. If you believe in him and accept him as your Lord and Savior, then I will receive you in him. And that's how we're made righteous. That's how we're made right. Okay? Now, that's, that's how all this got started. Now, if you turn to Genesis chapter 12, something took place here, and I want to explain this to you. In Genesis chapter 12, God called a man. And it says, Now the Lord said uh, to uh, Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land, and I will show you, that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now that's a mouthful. 
We're talking about Abraham here, right? He's, he later became Abraham. His name now at this time was Abram. And so when you talk about Hebrews or the Hebrew language, Abram's name was changed to Abram. And you would say it like this in the Hebrew because they use gutturals. They speak breath from deep down. Abraham. That's how he would say it. Abraham. Because it represents God's life being breathed into Abram. And he becomes from Abram to Abraham. Sarai to Sarah. God did the same with his wife. Those are pictures of salvation in the Old Testament. God breathes life into us. He brings us to a new start. That's what salvation is. You realize salvation, if somebody in this building or somebody watching us around the globe is not born again, you've never given your life to Christ, that's what salvation is about. Salvation is about you getting new life and having a whole brand new start. You can't get that at Walmart. I mean, that's the greatest deal going for you to come here. Can you imagine how frustrated the devil is for somebody who's 42 years old to come to an altar of repentance, ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins, ask Jesus to be the Lord of their life, to save them, and everything the devil has done for 39 years is wiped out in an instant. Somebody ought to give God praise for that. How frustrating would that be for the devil to watch God do that. And we've seen him do that a lot here in this congregation. God just said, and, and so we're all sinners. We're all born into sin. This man, Abram, who became Abraham, right? He got the God on his side. God became, and he became on God's side, I should say. He was not, listen closely, so you can understand how God works. Abraham was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. He was a Chaldean. There were no Jews at this time. Here's God's plan. God said, I've got to get a man, right? And the reason he called Abram is not because he was perfect. There are no perfect people. The only perfect one was Jesus Christ, and he came later to the earth. But he called Abram, and the reason he called him, he said, he, and he's the only guy in the Bible that God said, he's my friend. He called him his friend. And here's what he said about Abram. Now listen closely, Dad, Grandpa, Grandma, all of us. He said, Abraham will be faithful to hand off to the next generation what I give him. Now I want to ask you a question. I want to challenge you because we live in America. We live in the land of prosperity and the land of materialism. What have you been handing off to the generations coming behind you? Right? You may have some things to handle. You may have some stuff stored up for them. You may have a, a little dough or whatever or a piece of property. But that's not near as important as handing them down a spiritual heritage. That's not. The Bible says if a man gains the entire world and loses his soul, there's no profit in that. We know the story that Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus, right? The rich man winds up in hell and Lazarus winds up in, in paradise. We understand that, that this life, we're going to have a time span here in this life, and then when it's over, the Bible says, we didn't bring nothing with us, and we're not taking anything out when we leave. So we came into the world with nothing, we're leaving with nothing. So the only thing that matters at that point is what we've done with Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God. So Abraham, and, and I'm close I, mean, I run in these circles, but Abraham was not a Jew. What God did, and here again, it's another picture of salvation. God took him out of this people, set him apart, gave him his ways, right? That's what we're given as Christians. He takes us out of a life of sin, brings us into his life. He breathes new life into us just like he did Abram, and he gives us a new start, and he gives us his ways. And that's what happened to Abraham. As time went on, Abraham's descendants became known as the Israelites and the Jews over time. But it didn't have something to do with a label. That's not what this is about. What it had to do with is a man who would be faithful and his line God would use to eventually bring us the Messiah. That's why. So basically, your Bible, starting at Genesis 12 all the way through the New Testament, is a focus on this one family line 
and how we interact with that or do not. And God separated that line with Isaac, right? He separated that line with Isaac and he brought him down. So forget labels for a minute. Just see that family line and how God set them up to show the rest of the world salvation and to bring us hope through His Son. So what God did in the fullness of time, He had His Son manifested in the world through the tribe of Judah, which is a part of Abraham's line. God sent us a Son, His only begotten Son. Sent Him to earth in the form of a man. Let Him be born as a woman. The Holy Spirit caused Mary to conceive, right? And she, so Jesus had no earthly father. He had a earthly stepfather, if you want to call it that, with Joseph. Now, the line that Solomon had coming was cut off, right? Solomon's line was cut off. But Jesus had to come through David because the Bible said that a promise to David was that you'll always have a man on the throne. And thanks to Jesus, that's true, right? Jesus will forever be on the throne, and He will rule and reign. And so what you find out when you go to Luke, there are two genealogies in the Bible, one in Matthew uh, about Jesus, one in Matthew and one in Luke. In Luke, the genealogies run all the way back to Adam. In Matthew, it runs back to Abraham. goes back to the father of faith and this line, right? It starts the line. It shows us the line that God used. But actually, Abraham was, went back through Noah and all the way back to Adam. So when you go to Luke, you'll find that genealogy and you'll find two different branches, both from David's house, but the physical line came through Mary because she was in David's line as well. And her, that line ran back through Nathan, who was not cut off. So God was faithful to keep His promise. This ought to excite everybody in this building. That God cannot be stopped, and that's what I want to say to you. His plan cannot be stopped. His plan for man, His plan. The only person that can stop God's plan for you is you. The devil can't stop it. Your wife can't stop it. Your husband can't stop it. The world out there, the only person is you when you say no. There's not enough demons in hell to stop God's will in my life. The only person that can stop God's will in my life is me if I just tell God no. That's the only thing that will stop it. They don't have, they, the devil's always tried to stop God's plan, and he cannot. Can you say amen to that? So God, amen. God is in charge, and we're seeing that clearly as we watch what's happening in Israel. Now, turn with me to Galatians real quick. Let's go to Galatians chapter, uh, I want to go to chapter 4 in Galatians, and I want to show you something here about this seed that's coming through Christ, right? That's, all, that's already come for us. But in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, he, and if you read Galatians, it gives the clarity to the law and, and faith. But he says, uh, tell me you who desire to be under the law. Galatians 4 and 21. Tell me you who desire to be under the law, who do not, who do you do, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman, but he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. Now that, that, he was born according to the flesh. And look at the next one. And he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. So that was Ishmael and Isaac. Remember Abraham got ahead of God, right? He and Sarah decided to try and do their own thing instead of waiting on God. How many have done that before? Raise both hands because I know you have. We've all tried it. But here's the thing. Repentance does wonders, don't it, right? Coming right back to where God wants you to be. Which things are symbolic, for these are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage. He's talking about law, talking about Ishmael, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, right, speaking of Jerusalem, 
and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all, for it is written. So this city in the natural over there in Israel represents the heavenly city, Jerusalem. It's the only city in the world God put his name on. It is the city in the world that's going to become contentious. And we're almost there fully. Uh, it's going to become contentious for the entire world. The whole world is going to become contentious over Jerusalem. And let me give you a few facts about just a quick history of Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been fought over 16 times, destroyed uh, two times, besieged 23 times, attacked 52 times, uh, and uh, dis, uh, all kinds of chaos has went on around that city. Everybody at one time or another has tried to gain control of that city. The earliest, uh, the earliest thing we have of the earliest thing we have of Jerusalem is with Abraham's time, Melchizedek, which also would have probably been around Job's time. And Melchizedek is the guy that we read about in Genesis and then again in Hebrews chapter 7. Melchizedek is the priest of Jerusalem, and he's the priest of Salem. He comes out and meets Abraham. And there he is, he is, has communion with Abraham. Abraham pays uh, Melchizedek tithes. All this is representation of God, God's authority, his man, his kingship, his authority. So Jerusalem is the, is the main place in the scripture, in history, that we find the, the monotheistic religion. In other words, there's only one God. And that's where it was promoted from, even from years ago. And Melchizedek is a mysterious character. We'll talk more about him another time when we do the study of Hebrews. But Abraham, all this, Abraham having communion with Melchizedek and Abraham paying tithes, all that's before the law. Why? Because it's about relationship. God wants relationship, right? And so he designed that for this. So uh, Jerusalem then actually was fought over a little bit again because of Joshua uh, with a king. And then David and Solomon come into play with Jerusalem. And then in 333 B.C., Alexander the Great comes in and the, the Greeks, one of his generals, takes over Jerusalem. And 63 B.C., uh, Rome starts coming in and taking over. And they basically had control of it with some skirmishes until 638 B.C., somewhere around that time when Islam started coming in. And Mohammed showed up over there almost 700 years after Jesus, almost 1,700 years after uh, David, certainly way after Abraham. Jerusalem, let me say this emphatically, Jerusalem belongs to Israel. Amen. Belongs to Israel. And a whole lot more of that land over there that's not been given to them yet that's coming according to the Scripture. Now, we, we talked about last week how Gaza is going to be destroyed. It's going to be destroyed. I don't know if it's going to be this round, but it's feeling like the whole world is starting to rock and reel over this. You can look in our country of how many deceived people there are even in this country. And so here, I'm going to make this as emphatic as I can. We have come to the point to where you've got to make a choice. You're either going to stand with Israel or not. And I'm going to say this as bold as I can. If you're not standing with Israel, you're against God. I'm not saying Israel's going to do everything right, but this is the time we're in. That is God's country over there. And he said there's not going to be land for peace. He's going to step in. There's not going to be a two-state solution. If it is, it's only going to be temporary. That land actually belongs to God. And he gave it to them as stewards. This is playing out exactly the way he said it was. And as I showed you in the scripture last week, Damascus is going to wind up being gone. Ammon's going to be gone. Gaza's going to be gone. Egypt's going to be brought to her knees. And so forth and so on. All that's coming. And then all those major players that are funding all this stuff, like Russia and Iran and China with the 100 million man army, all those guys when they see what God does with everybody else and starts destroying those places, they're going to be reluctant to come in at that point. Oh, they're big talkers right now. But then when they see God show up and start destroying the enemies, His enemies, 
Because this goes back, that's why I started that this morning, this goes all the way back to the garden. And it don't go all the way back to the garden and then to the Jews. It goes all the way back to the garden and then to a man. A man who God said, this guy will do what I ask him to do. He'll hand it down. That's what God's looking for in us. He's looking for people that'll stand where he stands. He's looking for people that'll do what he's asked us to do. He's looking for people that understand what's on the other side is way better than anything we see on this side. He's looking for people that'll stand with his son and represent his son and die for the cause of the gospel because we know that what's on the other side is greater than what we have on this side. You're not going to live forever. I got news for you. You're not going to live forever. And the older you get, the harder it gets. I got news for you on that too. You need something better than what we see down here, right? I'm glad this is not all there is to it. Because our strength's going to be renewed. Our years are going to be renewed. We're going to a place where we'll never die, where there's no more sickness, no more death, no more dying. All of our tears are going to be wiped away. And Jesus Christ is going to be the King. And we're going to live forever in heaven with Him. I got good news for you. If you'll get in line with Jesus, you don't have anything to worry about. But if you don't get in line with Jesus, you got trouble coming. Because this world's getting ready to get turned upside down on its head. This evil is not contained in the Middle East. If you've watched any accounts of this, and I read some accounts, that some of those women, they raped them so viciously that they broke their pelvic bones. And some of them were little girls. They weren't women. They cut their heads off. They, one of the Jewish people that was writing an article said, the atrocities we've seen are worse than what happened in Germany. They said the violence that had to happen to a, a nine-year-old girl to be raped that aggressively and then have her head cut off. It's an atrocity on the humanitarian side, but as I showed you last week, there's a far greater thing going on here than what we see in the natural. I know we all get worked up about atrocities, and it's sad that, that innocent people in, Pal in Gaza are getting killed. I understand all that, all that, but you understand this all goes back to the garden. There's a battle between good and evil. There's a battle between God and Satan, and you better pick sides, and you better pick the right side. Because if you pick the wrong side, I got news for you. God's going to win this all of it. He's going to win every battle. Every nation is going to come under His jurisdiction. Every nation will fall under Him. So Jerusalem uh, became the Muslims. And in 1229, uh, some Christians come in, started trying to run Jerusalem. Then the Ottoman Empire came in. Some of you know this, the Turks and all that. Then finally the Brits went in in 1917 and Israel started revolting. And finally in 1948, Israel became a nation again. And then in 1967, in the Six-Day War, they actually gained Jerusalem back. So that's where we're at. That was one of the biggest prophecies. Those two things happening are the biggest prophecies to let us know we're in the last days. Because Israel had been scattered for almost 2,000 years and they were actually went back home. They were resurrected, so to speak. And then Jerusalem had been controlled by Gentiles for that long. And finally, in 1967, the, the Jews gained control of Jerusalem again because they were the ones that it was given to as stewards. Now, I'm going to take you somewhere in just a minute, but let me take you to Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, just back up a chapter, I'm going to show you how this line plays out. This Abraham, Abrahamic is how he would say that, his line. In verse 13 it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So in other words, the law represented, if I could say this to you, the law represented you and I pleasing God with our own strength. We couldn't do that. I could not perform well enough to make God happy with me, all right? But God said, I'm going to send my son. If you'll believe in him, as I said earlier, then I'll accept you in him. He'll become your righteous. So he says in verse 13, he says, uh, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who hangs on the tree. Jesus hung on the cross or the tree. It was made out of a tree so that you and I could have eternal life. 
that the blessing of Abraham, here it is, the blessing of Abraham, here's this guy showing up, might come upon the Gentiles. So Abraham's line became known as the Jews as they went, but it started with a Gentile giving God stuff because he was a man. God was looking for this guy who would do what he asked him to do. So he said, here's the guy. And so his line's coming. His line is used as examples to the world of God's plan and then ultimately for the only begotten Son to be brought into this life, into this earth, so that we could have redemption, salvation. That's what happened. Then he says, the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, as Christ Jesus, we might receive the promise of the Spirit, and we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now watch what he says here. Brethren, I speak in the manner of them, though it is only a man's covenant, yet it is, yet it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He, now, I love the way he clears this up, so there's no doubt. He does not say into seeds. It's not plural, it's singular. As of many, but as of one. And this is what the Jews have missed. They've missed how God sent his son. Seed, not seeds. Seed. And he said, and this I say the law, he says, and to your seed, let me back up, and to the seeds as many, but as one, and to your seed who is Christ. That seed is Jesus Christ. That's where your hope's at. Listen, if you put your hope in anything other than Jesus Christ, you've missed the mark. That's, our hope is built on Jesus Christ and His righteousness and nothing less than that. This world's not where it's at. Enjoy it. Have, uh, enjoy your family. Enjoy what God has blessed you with, but do not get caught up into thinking this is it. This is not it. The height of life is to have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and to be ready to meet Him when He returns and to have eternal life on the other side. Somebody give God praise for that. So he said, it's a seed, Christ. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later. See that? How many times I showed you that? Abram, then the law, then Christ, right? The law was just given so that we would understand we don't have the strength to please God on our own and that we need a Savior to take our place. That's why the law came. The law was never going to redeem us, right? We had to be redeemed through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But we're those people that we got, everything's got to, humans, we got to have it proved to us, right? What's the famous last words of a Kentuckian? Watch this. <laughs> I think people in West Virginia do that too. In Tennessee, watch this, right? Famous, that's the humanity all over the country and the world, in fact, quite frank. I can do it. Get out of my way. Watch this, watch this, watch but we can't. We could never get to God on our own. We could not please Him in our own strength. We could not be good enough. So God sent His Son in the fullness of time. And all those people that were in from uh, Genesis were waiting. They were watching. The ones who believed were waiting. They were believing. They died believing. We're doing the same thing. We're believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ like they did in the Old Testament. Both of us have the same point of reference. We look to that cross and that resurrection. And therefore, we can be born again and get out of this mess we're in and thinking we can please God on our own. Now, we have become sons and daughters of the Most High God. Then he goes on to say, he says, for if the inheritance, let me back up. He says, that which 430 years earlier cannot annul the covenant which was confirmed before God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, then it's no longer promised. But God gave it to who? Abraham. All right, so that's what I'm trying to get across to you. The sin came in. God had a plan in place. He called a man out. His line was the line that he used to show the world who he was and to send his son. That's our hope, how we interact with that, how we come into that, how we believe on his son, the only begotten son of God, whom he sent through the line of Abraham. Turn with me to Luke 21. As I wind up here, I'm going to show you some things here to verify what we're watching on the news, what you're hearing as you read these reports. That why? Last week, this will tie into last week. The last part of my sermon here will tie into last week just a little bit. But I want to run you through this uh, a little bit swiftly here, and we'll do some more study on this. But let's go to Luke chapter 21, and let's look at verse 8. Luke chapter 21, 
verse, let's, we'll start with verse 7. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when shall these things be, and what shall sign will there be when all these things are about to take place? They're talking about the end of time. And he said, Take heed that you do not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near, therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, are we hearing of that? Yeah, I've been doing that for a long time. Do not be terrified. So there's a good word for us, right? When you hear these wars and commotions, do not be terrified. Listen, if you're a child of God, if you believe in Jesus and you're following Him, you don't have anything to worry about. You're not leaving this earth until God's ready to take you home. Did I, I proved that last year. You're not leaving here until God's done with you. Now, if you're living your own life, you're not following Jesus Christ, all bets are off. You're on your own. But if you're following Jesus Christ and you've accepted Him and, you, and, and you're, doing, you're in God's will, I'm not saying you're perfect, I'm just saying you're following the Lord, that's the intention of your life, you're not leaving here until God's finished with you. I don't care how many wars are going on. I don't care how many rumors of wars. I don't care how many earthquakes. You're staying here until God's finished with you. That ought to give you great confidence to live out your life and to be bold in Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, do not go after them. When you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. That's a good word for us. For these things must come to pass first. So what you're watching come to play over there has to come to pass. And the reason the world is getting into chaos is because there's going to be a false Christ. We call him the Antichrist. He's going to come on the scene and offer some solutions. And Paul and Jesus both, I believe, said when that happens, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes. Then the world's really in trouble. Because the Lord's going to start showing up. Now, he says, uh, Do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass, but the end will not come immediately. Not immediately. So we've been watching these wars and rumors of wars, especially since the 1900s. What you will, and he's going to give us some other signs here. He says, Then he said, uh, Nation will rise against nation. So let me show you something here on my board. This word is ethnos. The word nation there is ethnos in the Greek. It's where we get the word in English, ethnic. So he's talking about different tribes and different people, not nations like we call them, not like America and China, but he's talking about different ethnic groups, and we see all of that. We've been watching that for years going on, and it's getting more intense and more aggressive. Then he talks about nations, what we call nations, here in the earth with these next kingdoms like America, China, uh, Russia, and then kingdom against kingdom. So the world's getting set up, right? These skirmishes have went on in Iraq, Iran, in the Middle East, Israel, Jordan, all of that stuff's been going on. But now nations are close to getting involved. That's why all this is getting set up for the nations to come in. The ethnic groups have been fighting for quite a long time. Now the nations are going to get drawn into this. That's what's going to happen. And there will be great earthquakes. <clears throat> We've been there have been earthquakes just lately, right? I mean, we had an earthquake in Bergen. What was it about two or three years ago? Earthquakes in in uh, various places. Good way to say that. They're starting to happen all over, right? Just a few years ago, they had one in Chicago, about six one. They they were so afraid that if that if Lake Michigan breaks loose, basically Indiana will be gone. And so there's earthquakes going around. We've seen the tsunamis called. But I, here's what I can tell you. If you'll go back, if you want to do this, go back and study the history. Notice when earthquakes really started taking off was in 1967. Because you get, that's when Israel got Jerusalem back. That's when the, and that's why this uh, hourglass is here. Because that's when the countdown started. That's why I set this up here. We're, the countdown started in 1967. That's when the countdown started. I am that terminal generation. I'm a part of that. I was called to preach during this season. I was born in 1966. And so this generation is that, and we'll see that here in just a moment. He says, <clears throat> he says but before all these, let me back up, there will be earthquakes in various places, famines, we've seen that, pestilence, there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven, but before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. And deceiving, uh, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion of testimony. 
Therefore, settle in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. If I, for I will give you a mouth of wisdom which you, all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. So he's talking to those guys asking him this question. And he's saying, before all these signs, you guys are going to get delivered up. Right? He said, but I'm going to be with you. He said, but he gives a word here that all of us need to hear. For I will give you a mouth of wisdom, your adversaries. You will, not, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, friends, and they will put some of you to death. And that happened, right, with his disciples. And, you, and then you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, there's that word that we use a lot, by your, here's a better way to say that, by your consistency, possess your souls. I'm going to tell you, if there's ever been a time for Christians to be consistent, it's now. You need to be consistent. You don't want anything, you don't want the devil to be able to use your lack of consistency to start chipping away at your faith. The reason you need to be consistent is not because God can't win this fight without you and I. He's going to win. I read the end of the book. He's winning whether you and I show up or not. The reason you need to be consistent with your life as a Christian is so there's no kinks in your armor for the devil to come in there and discourage you and start working on your faith, right? When the devil shows up at the door... And you're there, and the devil starts throwing these accusations. Well, you've not been being faithful. You don't want that. You don't want to have to fight that battle. So be consistent in your career. Now's the time. Now's the time to make some changes. Come on, let's be honest about it. I'm going to preach a little bit here. We get settled in our complacency. We do the same old thing for the same last 10 years. Step it up. Someone said, well, I'm good. No, step it up. What if God wants more out of you than he's been getting out of you? Step it up. To take a, pray a little bit more. Study a little bit more. Be a little bit bigger giver. Whatever God's calling you to do. But step it up. Don't get settled. Stuff settles in the bottom of a commode. You don't want to be a commode. <laughs> Just thought I'd get your attention there. <clears throat> and it will be, you'll be hated by all my sake, but a hair of you. Then he says, but then you will see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. And know that this desolation is near. Then let those who are, and this happened in 70 A.D. Right? He's given, none of this stuff's happened at the time he's telling it. He said, here's going to be some signs of the end, but before that, right? Do you hear that? Follow the Scripture. Before the earthquakes, before the wars, before all that, you guys are going to get betrayed and hated. You're going to be delivered up. I'm going to be with you. And then he says, before that, this is going to happen. Jerusalem is going to be surrounded. Then all those that are in Judea flee the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of the part, let those who are in the country not enter her. For these are the days of vengeance. All things which are written might be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies. Those days for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive of all nations. That happened in 70 AD. Rome came in, ransacked Jerusalem. Israel was dispersed. Around the world, they were not a nation for nearly 2,000 years. And then in 1948, they showed back up. That's what happened. Now, he gave them some signs about the end of the time. And then he said, I'm going to tell you some stuff that's going to happen before that. And that's what he just, do you understand that? This is how you understand the Scripture. Follow what he's saying. They said, when's the end coming? He said, well, here's what's going to be happening when the end comes. We're seeing that. They weren't seeing it. We're seeing it. We're in the end of time. But he said before that, he's talking to these Jews that are asking this question. You guys are going to get hauled up, but I'm going to be with you. And then Jerusalem is going to get ransacked, and, and the Jews are going to be scattered around the world. That happened. All of that happened. Because he said before the end, this is going to happen. You've got to follow the Scripture. And then he says in verse 24, And they'll fall by the edge of the sword, be led away, captain all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now that's the ones that are not in the line of Abraham, right? So that's the rest of the world, our time. I just read to you that the Gentiles came in and took over Jerusalem, right? right? They started taking it over in the 1200s. And then they, as time went on, right, they kept coming before B.C. And then in 1967, what happened? Israel took Jerusalem back over. She became a nation in 48. She took Jerusalem back in 67. And then he gives us some more signs. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon. So he gave a little interlude. He said, here's what's going to happen in the time. Here's you some stuff you need to know about what's coming next. Then he went right back to the signs. 
of the end of time. He says, There will be signs of the sun and the moon and the stars on the earth, the stress of nations, with perplexity, the sea, and the waves roaring. Notice how many hurricanes have come in the last 40 years. They just, the waves are roaring. And why? Why is earth rocking and reeling? Why are earthquakes getting more and more? Why are more hurricanes coming? Because Paul said even nature is groaning for redemption. The earth is tired of being consumed with sin and the effects of sin. And Paul said even nature itself is groaning for redemption. So the world's rocking and reeling. It's getting ready for the judgment time. It's getting ready for its maker to show back up. And that's where we're sitting. We're sitting in that time. Those things that he told the Jews have already happened to them. They're coming back to the homeland for the last time. They're not leaving anymore. I got news for Hamas and Boko Haram and Hezbollah and Iran. I got news for all of them. Israel's not leaving. They're not leaving that land. And what's going to happen, there's going to be some skirmishes. And there's going to be, obviously we can see there's physical fighting going on now. But at some point, God, the Bible says God's going to show up and start doing the fighting Himself. And when God, and I tell people this all the time, if you think dealing with the devil's tough, stick around and have to deal with God when He shows up. I, I, I said, I think I said last week, all hell has broke loose in the Middle East over there around Israel. But, it ain't, but guess what? All heaven's getting ready to break loose over there. And when all heaven gets ready to break loose, all hell's going to run and hide. Because greater is He that is in us than he that's in the world. I like what that guy whose father is one of the founders of Hamas, and he's, he's a son and he's gotten born again, and he understands the Scripture. I like what he got to say. What are we afraid of? To live as Christ, to die as gain. He said, we need to stand up for God, stand up for His plan, stand up for what He's saying, and all, we, all of us need to do the same. God is coming back to the earth, and when He comes back, I'm going to be found on His side. Amen. You can give him praise. Tell your neighbor, he's almost done. Give him a little hope. False hope, maybe, but no, I'm just kidding. And he said, the heavens will, will be shaken. Men's hearts will be failing them from fear of expectation. <clears throat> then they will see the Son of Man in the cloud and the power and the great glory. Now, when these things begin to happen, what things? These signs they asked for, right? They, he, they said, tell us what we're going to be looking for. He started telling them. Then he said, oh, let me tell you this too about Israel, about you guys. Then he come right back to the signs. Then he said, that's all leading up to me coming back. And then he said, now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift, your head, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Amen. Wow. Jesus said, don't fear what men can do to you. But fear the Lord, right? The one that has power over the soul and the body. Don't fear what men can do to the body. We don't have to be afraid. We do not have to live in fear. I don't care how much trouble comes to this world. We know in whom we believe. We know who's in charge. We know He's able to do far above what we can think or ask. And then He gives us some more information, and I'm going to close. Look at the fig tree and all the trees in verse 29. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will, by, will pass away, but my words will by no. In other words, he told us when all these signs were happening that that would be the last generation. They're here. Every one of those things are happening. And the one that's most specific is verse 28. They will fall by the edge of the sword, be led away captive, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That happened in 1967. Here we are on the brink of the end of time. You better not be caught up in the wrong stuff. He gives us that final instruction here. We're that terminal generation. We don't know the day nor the hour, but we know we're in that season. Paul said you'll know the season that that day won't catch you off guard. Here we stand. Here we stand in the middle of that. Look at verse 34. This is our instruction and warning. But take heed to yourselves. He's talking to you and I. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing. That'd be the party life, the materialistic, the, the ways of the world. Drunkenness, that would be anything that uh, takes you out of your state of being, any way you want to take that, and cares of this life. There's a big one. Well, I'm just too busy to go to church. Too much going on with the children. Too much going on with my job. Well, that's the only day I get off. 
Well, good for you. I ain't had Sunday off in 30 some years. <laughs> well, whatever the excuse is, you remember what I started this sermon off with? The little demon in the back said, I got an idea. Let's tell them they can wait. They can wait to get serious with God. They can put off salvation. But as I told you before, none of us have the promise of tomorrow. He's given us a warning here. He's saying, don't get caught off guard. Don't be caught up in the wrong stuff that you're caught off guard. And then he says, for it will come on a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always. That's a word to us. That you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. I don't have time to get into it, but you'll probably see it next week, the, uh, how that leads us into the Great Tribulation. The Lord said, you don't have to go through that. You can be standing with me up here if you'll come to me. Now, I, I want to make this clear to you. Whosoever will can be saved. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter what color skin you've got. It doesn't matter if you worship the false god. And there's plenty of those. If you're willing to give your life to Jesus and say, I'm tired of running my life. I'm tired of living deceived. I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. That's all it takes. All you got to do is just invite, ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Invite Him into your life. So if you believe that He died in your place, that He rose from the dead, and you believe He's the Son of God, He's the way out of here, that's your ticket. That was my ticket. Listen, you're in a building, or if you're watching today, you're, you're with a group of people. Everybody in here was a sinner. Everybody. And you may look across the aisle and say, well, that guy was a bad sinner. And that girl wasn't so bad. Nah, they're both bad. All sin is sin. We don't get any stripes for that. You know, oh, well, it didn't take much of the blood of Jesus to save me. It just took a little bit. <laughs> no, it, you had to be washed all over. Let's stand to our feet. <clears throat> I want to tell you something. And I... I've cleared this up when I've taught on Revelation. <clears throat> There's nothing that... And, and I'm going to maybe come against a few preachers that don't know what they're talking about. <clears throat> There's nothing that needs to happen for Jesus to come back and rapture the church. Now, there are some things that's going to happen in the tribulation period that haven't happened yet. But for Jesus to come get His bride, like we sang about this morning, for the Son to come get His bride, there's nothing else needs to happen. It's just the timing of the Lord. So, don't put off. Paul said, today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. If you need to start your relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what we want you to do this morning. If you're watching somewhere in front of a television or a computer screen, and you need to just kneel right where you're at and ask Jesus to forgive you, to come into your heart that you believe He's who He said He is. You want to be on the right side. We're getting ready to open this altar. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, we want to invite you to come surrender your life. You're not out of place in this church to walk. We use our altars. <clears throat> Some of us, I have to use them. I've been saved for a long time. I still have to use them. That's what they're for. They're not just for a sinner to come and repent. They're not just, and if you're a prodigal and you need to come home this morning, today's the day, man. You don't put that off. Prodigal sin. Maybe you just got an issue in your life and come pray about it. Christians, whoever you are, this altar is a good place to come unload and give stuff to Jesus. And we use our altars here in this church. So don't be afraid to slip out of your seat and come talk to Jesus about something. It ain't none of nobody's business what you're talking about. But don't feel it. It's not awkward in this church for you to come up here and hang out with Jesus. So as, I, as we start worshiping here, this altar is open. If you want us to pray with you, we'll pray with you. If you want us to pray with you about salvation, if you need healing in your body, we'll pray with you. But if you just want to come up here and do your business with God, then you're more than welcome. That's what this is for. That's what it's for. And don't feel like you're out of place. You're looking at people that walk that aisle to give their life to Jesus, and we're still walking that aisle. We still have to come and pray.
I don't know about you all, but I mess up sometimes. I sin sometimes. Am I, is the only one that sins sometimes? Well, y'all are acting like it. <laughs> this altar's for our benefit. Don't look at it as an awkward thing. Look at it as an open invitation to hang out with God. Father, we thank you for this moment. Help people not to put off their decisions, whatever they are. Maybe somebody's saved, but they put off the decision about being faithful in some area. Maybe somebody's the prodigal. Maybe they've walked with you for part of their life, and now they're out doing their own thing like the prodigal. And it's time to come home. It's time to come home. Maybe somebody's never made that initial commitment to following you. And today's their day. Give them the strength to just come and surrender their life to you. This altar's open. Will you come?